listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. My name is Eric Barton, and I am the downtown campus pastor for Bethel Bible Church, and I'm glad that you're here. We believe that God has divinely directed your steps to be here, that you would hear something from him this morning. And as I look out across this room, I think, ooh, ooh, maybe it's that. Ooh, maybe it's you. As God's going to speak to us through his word, and I've been praying all week that, oh, man, that God would connect with you the way that he is connected with me in a very needful way. So I just want to welcome you. If you are visiting with us this morning, I want to say a special word of greeting. I want to make sure that we do everything we can to assist you to feel connected, to assist you to feel wanted by this body of believers that is gathering. So if you would look in the seat back pocket in front of you if you're visiting, there are some 5 by 7 glossy cards. If you would do us the favor of reach forward. I know it's a little bit of an effort. This, just reach forward, grab it, close your fingers, bring it back to you. Turn it over, grab a writing utensil, uh uh-uh, and then write down your contact information, your name, and how we can be praying for you. We as a staff meet on Mondays, and our elders and our deacons uh, get a copy of this. We want to know what's going on in your life, how can we be praying for you, and how can we help to get you connected to this church. And, And we've said this before, but we really do believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And that God's plan for your life is that you be a part of a local church. And if it's not this one, well, okay. But we want to help you get connected with a church somewhere. We really believe it that fervently. That the New Testament knows no unchurched believer. The New Testament knows no believer who is not an authentic Christian community. So we want to help with that. We take that very seriously. Now, speaking of that, uh, this past Wednesday, in this very room, some of you were there, we had what we call Discover Bethel. Discover Bethel's are new members, prospective members, sort of an orientation class on what's going on in the church, what do we believe, how are we organized, how are we, um, how are we led. And in that class on Wednesday night, we said that the church is the new covenant community of the Spirit. That's what the church is. It's this group of people who, because of the new covenant inaugurated by Jesus, indwelled by God's Holy Spirit, have community. That's the church, the new covenant community of the Spirit. And the mission of that church is to make disciples of Jesus. Pure and simple, black and white, full stop, new page. That's the mission of the church. It's not to entertain, not to make us feel good or feel bad. It is to make disciples of Jesus. And the ministries of the church are how the mission is accomplished. This is the structure of the church. The new covenant community of the Spirit, the mission is to make disciples, and the ministries are how we actually do that. And so, I hope all of you grabbed one of these little fellows when you walked in. This is our bulletin. It is not intended to merely be the printing of trash. (laughs) This is to tell you all of the things that we have, largely, that are the ministries going on right now. And so, when we do announcements of things that are going on in our ministries, it really is worship. It is a response to what we believe God is doing in our midst. And so I just want to call your attention to a few of these things, not all of them. I'll direct your attention to our website that has a lot of this information. But of course, always grab one of these guys. We do not want to print trash. We want this to matter. It's too expensive to just print stuff. So I strongly encourage you to grab one of these and to find out what's going on. Specifically, uh, there's been, of course, uh, still a lot of damage, a lot of devastation because of the disaster of Hurricane Harvey down in South Texas. And some of you have asked, hey, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to respond? And we've got two teams that are going to be leaving. One's leaving this Thursday, September 14th. Chris Walker is heading that up with a bunch of you are going. A second team will go back on uh, September 28th. Some of you said, well, hey, I can't go. I can't do that. My job or my health or whatever it might be. Uh, What do I do? First and foremost, pray. Pray for openings to have uh, impact and influence, to to be givers of the gospel and to be um, the hands and feet of Christ, to bring healing and hope and even joy. But also, uh, in addition to praying, if any of you would like to uh, contribute to that financially, you can certainly do that online in the offering box between the exit doors on the way out. Um, And if you want any more information about that at all, you can contact Chris Walker or Jeff Bice, our missions pastor, jeff at Bethelbible.com. 
Uh, our executive pastor, Fritz Hager, is, some of you may or may not know this, he is actually a captain in the Texas State Guard. Uh, and he got deployed, called up and deployed to assist with all the disaster recovery. And then he's such uh, a captain awesome that the National Guard actually said, well, we, we want him more than our guys. And so they took him. Uh, and so Fritz has now uh, been sort of affixed to the National Guard, and he's being deployed by helicopter with, <laughs> like, one of the airborne divisions. So it's Fritz, who's 50, and all these 22-year-old guys who want to die. And that's fun. And so we got to hang out with a little bit with Fritz last night. Here's some of the stories, and he's going back on Monday morning, tomorrow morning early. They're going to send him back, and we don't know how long he's going to be down there. But I just want you to know that as a community of faith, Bethel is deeply, immediately, and personally involved. So as you pray for the people down there, you pray for Fritz, pray for our teams that are going down there. And of course, this goes without saying, pray for what's going on in Florida. As many people right now are experiencing an enormous amount of fear and uncertainty and doubt. Well, one other thing I want to mention is next Sunday, a week from today, right after the second service, when I say amen, we're going to dismiss and go down to the second floor. This is our life group connect. We want everybody who comes to Bethel to be a part of community in some way. And so we want to help you with that. We're doing our biggest point of emphasis for the entire semester is groups, community groups, life groups. We want to help you get involved in a group if you are not already. We're going to launch new groups as needed to accommodate everybody who wants to be in a group. Whether you live in Hideaway Lake or you live in North Jacksonville or anywhere in between, we want to help you get connected with people. So that's next Sunday. Right after second service, there will be uh, food. You can plan on seeing all the different groups that are going to be set up downstairs to, to meet you. And we want you to make that a part of your plan for next Sunday. Well, now here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go to God's Word, and we're going to see what He has for us. So let's pray. Father, thank You for the morning. Thank You for the opportunity to be and do church. What a grace that You receive our gathering and you're honored by it, and you love it. I think you even like the sound and the sight of these people, your people, gathered together. So, Father, would you speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, among your people, that we would hear from you. Our, our desire is to hear from you. Would you help us to listen? Father, would you stay any distraction, any of the good things, but also the sin that so easily entangles? Would you lead us into a growing relationship with your Son? May we leave this place this morning, Father, changed understanding you more clearly and deeply than when we walked in. We pray all these things in the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I have been looking forward to September 10th for a very long time because um, we are going to begin this morning a new series that will take us all the way through Thanksgiving, Lord willing. We're going to spend about 12 weeks talking about Jesus stories. We're going to spend the next 12 weeks or so talking about parables. We're just going to spend some time in the gospel accounts looking directly at the stories that Jesus tells. These stories are super important in the ministry of Jesus to understand what is our Bible communicating to us. And, and it comes down to how do we hear them. And as I thought about this text for this morning, as we go into studying the parables of Jesus, it reminded me that Jesus is always talking to people about, do you really hear me? Are, 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 you, are you hearing this? Are you listening and it occurred to me that the reason Jesus has to say that is because, like all parents, we know that our children have selective hearing. They hear what they want to hear, and more appropriately, they don't hear what they don't want to hear. But you know what? It goes both ways. It even works for parents. My dad loved ice cream, and he loved unadulterated ice cream. He would get so mad if we tried to put chocolate sauce on it or anything else. He would bark at us and say, you're ruining it, you're ruining it. Or if, heaven forbid, anybody tried to put, you know, those little candle shavings, the little waxy sprinkles on there that taste like sawdust. If anyone ever tried to put that on ice cream, he would absolutely lose it. You did not mess with the manna from heaven that is plain Borden vanilla ice cream. He loved it. Later in his life, as he was hospitalized, he was starting to sort of slow down and shut down. He had bladder cancer and all sorts of heart issues. And at one point, the uh, physician came in and said, now, okay, now, Mr. Barton, uh, here's the deal with what's going on with your bladder cancer and this, that, and the other. Um, no more ice cream. You're not going to be able to have any more ice cream 
no more ice cream. Are we understanding one another? Are we clear? Are we good on this? Dad's like, yeah, okay, sure, uh-huh, bye. About 18 hours later, Dad's red-faced, barking at me in the hospital room, going, hey, where's my ice cream? I'm like, Dad, no, I, I, you're asking me to like break the law. I don't do that. I can't, I can't get any contraband in your room. I'm not going to get you ice cream. He said, no, 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 no. The doctor said I'm supposed to have more ice cream. Well, no, Dad, I'm pretty sure that's not what he said. What he said was no more ice cream. He said, no, it's like a prescription. You have to get me my medicine. I get ice cream. <laughs> he heard the words more and ice cream and sort of just let the other stuff filter out. Selective hearing. Now, that's funny, and I realize that I'm guilty of the same thing, too, in sometimes not so funny ways. I know there are times when I'm having a conversation with my spouse, and Candidly, it's uh, an exercise and an exhibition in selective hearing. She is enumerating all of the many ways in which I have erred, and all I'm hearing is, you're awesome, and uh, I'll stop talking here in just a minute so that, Eric, you can talk and tell me how brilliant you are. That's usually what I'm interpreting. And so, candidly, sometimes I just miss some very important things that she is sharing that are important for me to know and to, to understand, and I'll just march right back over because we as a species, we come into this world with the propensity and the tendency to hear selectively. So this morning, our very first parable is going to address the human tendency and the condition of selective hearing. So we're going to start this morning with our very first parable. It's in Matthew chapter 13. I'll invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew a gospel writer, records several of Jesus' parables. We think all told, when you put all the different gospel writers together, there's about 38 different parables. I'm just going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Matthew's recording the words of Jesus. Some of you might have red letter versions. Good, great for you. But understand this, everything between the table of contents and the maps is red letter. All scripture is God-breathed. Jesus spoke Aramaic. Matthew wrote in Greek. This is Matthew recording the story of what happened. It's all red letter. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, stop there. Okay, we got to do some work. Sometimes Sunday mornings are preaching. Sometimes Sunday mornings are a little bit more teaching. This is going to be a little bit more teaching. Matthew starts off and says, that same day, this is an interpretive clue. You have to understand what Matthew is doing here. That same day is telling us something super important. Now, I went to seminary, spent five years and countless thousands of dollars in seminary to learn this. 13 comes immediately after 12. I know. Eureka. Changes everything. 13 comes immediately after 12. And so when it says that same day, we have to wonder, what same day? Well, what's going on here? Well, Matthew's about to do something to let us know. Jesus is about to, to turn a corner. Something's about to happen in his narrative. You see, what Jesus is about to give us is what we call a discourse. It's a speech. It's a teaching. Every now and then it's a sermon, or sometimes it's just a little message. But there are five discourses in the book of Matthew, five of them. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The next one is what we call the Little Commission, the Mission. It's in Matthew chapter 10. The third and the middle discourse is this one, the Kingdom Parables discourse of Matthew 13. The fourth discourse is in Matthew 18. It's all about what the church is supposed to look like and do. And then the final, the fifth discourse is in Matthew 24 and 25. It's called the Olivet Discourse, talking about the end of the age, judgment that is coming, and... Um, all of the things that are going to happen at the very end. Five different discourses. This is the fifth, or this is the third one, right smack dab in the middle. And it comes at the end of chapter 12. Why? Because Matthew is trying to tell us something. He's trying to say, this is the gospel. It's very good news. Every gospel writer has a specific emphasis and a point. For Matthew, it is all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. That's why we start off in Matthew and we look at the genealogies. This is how Jesus is directly in the line of David. He's the right messianic king. Oh, he's the king, y'all. He's the king. And everything is about the kingdom. What's the kingdom? The kingdom of God is simply where the life 
and the joy and love of God breaks into our realm. And Matthew's telling us that the kingdom is not offered to us the way it used to be offered. Oh, salvation is always by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. It's always been that way. But Matthew is not offering us the kingdom. Matthew is offering us the gospel as an entrance into the kingdom. And so what Matthew's going to do is he's going to take some of the stories about Jesus and the stories that Jesus himself tells and say, this is the gospel. We have access to the kingdom, but not like Israel did by following the law. The law just plows up our hearts and makes it ready and receptive and tells us, oh, this is some problems, so that the gospel can come and plant and transform. This is what Matthew is doing. He's not offering us the kingdom. He's offering us salvation through the gospel, which is the entrance into the kingdom. And so Matthew sets up all these different things inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is sort of the entire book of Matthew. You cannot jump into Matthew 13 without understanding what Matthew is doing. If you simply jump in and go, hey, the, the kingdom's like a pearl, then you'll go to Jared, the Galleria of Jewelry, and buy something and go, I'm in. No, you're not. There is a context that is absolutely crucial to understand what's happening in these kingdom parables. Matthew is telling us that the kingdom has been offered to Israel. It's been offered. It's been proclaimed. John the Baptist comes on the scene and says, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus announces his earthly ministry. He is tempted by the devil. And he resists because he is strong. He is good. He is the God-man. The kingdom is proclaimed. It is near. It is at hand. Israel, will you accept it? What you going to do? Will you have me as your king? Then the, the kingdom is... Well, the kingdom is authenticated. Jesus does a number of signs and wonders to say, this is what it looks like when the kingdom breaks through. The, 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 the lame, they walk. The blind, they see. The deaf, they hear. The mute, they speak. The dead are raised because the kingdom is busting forth. Now, you notice Jesus did not heal everybody. He didn't feed everybody. He didn't raise everybody. Just a few to show I am the first fruit. I am the glimmer and the glimpse of the kingdom that I'm offering. Will you have it? Oh, I know it's not what you expected, but will you have it anyway? The kingdom is proclaimed and it is offered. The kingdom is authenticated by these signs and wonders. The kingdom is previewed with a Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, this is what the philosophy of my kingdom is, the ethic of my reign. This is what it looks like. You go, wow, I read the Sermon on the Mount. I, whew, that makes me a little uncomfortable. I, I can't do those things. And Jesus says, right, I have to give it to you. Kingdom is previewed. Then, however, cue the Darth Vader music. The guys come in called the Pharisees, and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. This kingdom that you keep talking about doesn't sound at all like the kingdom that we want. Our kingdom is from Daniel 2, where the Messiah is a smiting stone. He raises up and he crushes all other dominions and sets up a reign on the earth. That's our kingdom. Drives out the Romans and essentially establishes our reign on the earth. That kingdom is all about the strength of my hand, what I can do, accomplish, obtain, earn, and achieve. And Jesus goes, actually, no. It's not my kingdom. My kingdom is offered by yieldedness and submission and humility. And the hallmark is not conquest. It is love. It is service. Will you have it? They will not. We draw into chapter 12 of Matthew, and we're getting this tension that is now beginning to, to raise. The kingdom's been offered and proclaimed. It's been authenticated. It's been previewed. It's being now debated. Now we're going to see that the kingdom will be rejected. Matthew 12 is a hinge chapter in Matthew's overarching telling of his story. Matthew 12, we find Jesus. Jesus is up in this little village called Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not really a sea. It's a freshwater lake. On the northeast corner is this fishing village. Jesus has his base of operations because he's no longer welcome in Nazareth. He's had to go over the foothills, around the, around the lake, and now he's living in Capernaum, perhaps in his own house, perhaps with Peter or Peter's mother-in-law. We're not sure, but he's living in Capernaum. This is his base of ops. And at one point, he enters the synagogue in Capernaum. Beautiful place. Been there, seen it. You were there. It's lovely. And there's a guy sitting there, and his hand is all withered, and it's all drawn up, and he's essentially 
disabled. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees in the synagogue and says, Hey, 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 boys, you see Lefty over there? Would y'all heal him if you could? Now, I understand, boys, it's the Sabbath. Would you heal him? They don't say anything. And Jesus just says, Stretch out your hand on the Sabbath. Without lifting a finger, the king declaratively makes whole. The kingdom is busting through. And what do you suppose their response is? Wow, this is what we want. This is awesome. The guy who can say a word in a man's hand is restored. They say, we will make plans, your Bible says, to destroy him. John 8, Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you will not believe. Because they have stopped up their ears and have selective listening. We want to hear what we want to hear, and we will not hear what we don't want to hear. Perhaps you can relate. Jesus leaves the synagogue. He goes to a house. We're not told which house. Perhaps it's his own. Perhaps it's Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law. We don't know. But he does all of these teachings in chapter 12. While he's there, they bring a man to him who is demon-possessed. A very scary scene. This man is demon-possessed. He is blind. He is mute. He is completely imprisoned. He is completely unable to function in society. He's an outcast. He's a victim. Something has afflicted him. We're not told how it happens. Jesus just drives out the demon. Not even told how. He didn't pull out his iPhone and use his handy demon-driving app or anything. He just, the demon's gone. Now the Pharisees have a choice to make. This miracle was so supernatural, so big, so powerful, they either have to accept it and therefore proclaim him as Messiah, because this is what was been foretold by Malachi and Micah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. They have to accept it or they have to reject it. The people are ready to go with him. They're saying, it's happening. He's doing the things. It's not what we expected, but it's happening. But the leaders of Israel say, no, we attribute this miracle to Beelzebub. And right there, Jesus says, now you've torn it. You attributed to Satan that which was done by the Holy Spirit. All of Jesus' signs and wonders were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in his power, not in his deity. He laid that aside. The Holy Spirit was working through Jesus. And he says, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, now sorry, there's no forgiveness for that. Why? In the Old Testament, there was all these different kinds of sacrifices for sins, for adultery, for murder, for thievery, all these different things, for stealing another guy's goat or ox or whatevs. But there is no sacrifice for blasphemy. That's a capital punishment. You're just out. And he says, in this little three-and-a-half-year window of Jesus' earthly ministry, if you attribute the works of the Spirit to Satan, this postpones the offer of the kingdom to Israel. It doesn't cancel it forever. It postpones the offer of the kingdom, which leads the readers of Matthew, who are primarily Jewish, to go, <clears throat> that's a quote, oh, no, well, now what? What happens now? What happens to the kingdom now? at the end of chapter 12. Even Jesus' biological family come to try to like shut things down a little bit, and Jesus says, mm -mm, things are about to change. I am withdrawing temporarily. I am postponing the offer of the kingdom to Israel. Now I'm going to go global. I'm going to take it all over the place. These will be my brothers and sisters. These will be my family. I'm going to go to the highways and the byways. I'm going out to the last and the least and the lost. I love the Roman centurion. I love the pagans over in the Decapolis. I love the Egyptian and the Ethiopian. Y'all, I'm even going to go to Texas A&M University. It's true. There is grace for that too. That's sort of a joke. I'm going to go where there's need. I'm going to take this campaign to the Gentiles all over the place. I'm withdrawing it. And so this great grand parentheses begins where Jesus says, entrance to the kingdom is now granted through the finished work that I'm about to do. What is the kingdom? How does a person get into the kingdom? What's going to happen in this age? What does the kingdom look like? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. In fact, let me tell you seven. We're just going to cover the first one this morning. So very briefly, back to Matthew chapter 13 now. The same day, Jesus is in the house. He teaches the stories. The demon-possessed man comes. They reject it. They say it's Beelzebub. He leaves there, Matthew chapter 13. He went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And this time, things are going to be different. In this discourse, it's not merely to the disciples. Now it's to all the masses, all the crowds. 
He sits beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. I always find this fascinating. Here we find ourselves in a Western 21st century context. I'm standing up on some platform. All of you are sitting down. Not Jesus. In antiquity, the rabbis sat down, and everybody else had to stand up. So here's what we're going to do. No, I'm kidding. There you are. You're okay. Stay there. That's just the technique. Jesus, being the creator, understands acoustics. He gets into a boat, sits down, backs up a little bit off the shore. The Sea of Galilee in that part has this natural sort of amphitheater shoreline. The acoustics carry over the water. Jesus is very easily and very brightly heard. Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. So here we go. We're going to spend some time this whole semester talking about parables. Why does Jesus talk in parables? He's talking to a whole mass of people, some of whom are only going to hear what they want to hear. Some of them are desperate to hear every syllable and enunciation that Jesus will utter. He's going to speak in parables. Now, you've probably heard this before. Parable comes from two Greek words, parabalo, to to throw alongside. It's where we get our word for parallel. It has the idea of, of one track but two separate rails, both traveling in the same direction. It is using something from the known realm to convey something from the unknown realm. It's an earthly story, you've heard said, with a spiritual or a heavenly meaning, and that's right. But there's a purpose for this, and Jesus is going to explain it to us here in a little bit later. It is to make some things plain and make some things not plain. I've heard said recently, someone told me, gosh, you know, Jesus was a pretty good teacher, and he spoke in parables all the time. You preachers, you should do that more too. Y'all should speak in parables. And I say, that's a bit above my pay grade. My job is not to make it confusing. I do that for free. (laughs) Jesus spoke in parables to make it clear to some and to make it not clear to others. We don't want to speak in parables. That's not our job. That's what Jesus was doing. So he tells them a first story here. He speaks in parables, and we'll find out why here in just a moment. After this, Jesus is really going to not do any more signs and wonders at all because Matthew's using a transition to tell us things have changed. Previously, he's never spoken in parables. He's taught in things we call similitudes, which are saying like, yeah, it's like new wine and old wineskins or old wine and new wineskins. They're sort of metaphors. But now parables are extended stories to convey a point. And to those who are wanting to understand, who don't have selective hearing, it brightens and it's understandable. To those who say, this is my expectation, speak to me in that way, they won't understand it. This is a good test. The kingdom comes by hearing. How do you hear? Matthew chapter 13, here we go. He told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, the word there is diaspora, as he broadcasts grabs a handful of grain, and he's just throwing it out there. Not placing seeds in rows. He's just throwing stuff out there. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. All of that run-up of the history and the context of Matthew is to make sure when we get to this parable, we don't listen like 21st century Americans. We listen like 1st century, unregenerate Jewish people. We hear this parable in our context, and we have a tendency to say, okay, I got it. Which soil is saved? Wrong question. Parables only answer the question that was asked. The question that was asked is at the end of chapter 12. What happens to the kingdom? Jesus says, the kingdom comes by hearing. How do you hear? That's what this parable is addressing. So don't try to say, well, this one's in, this one's in, and was in, and now is out. This one I'm not so sure of, but that's the, the parable is not answering that question. 
The parable is telling us what the kingdom of God is like and how one gains access to it in this age. The kingdom comes by hearing. Well, he's going to go on after talking about these parables of the soils. Verse 10, he says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? What's all this then? You used to just like make lame people jump up. You used to make dead people come alive. Now you're speaking in these parables, which was not completely uncommon in that day, but Jesus had never done this before. Jesus is going to explain. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets. I wish he didn't say secrets. It's not what it, The word is mystery, the mysterion. A mystery is something that is previously veiled by God for a time and then revealed by God at a time. It is not some secret that you have to go and figure out by cleverness. No, it is a thing that is veiled, that is revealed by God. Does the notion of the church and God reaching and blessing the Gentiles, does that exist in the Old Testament? Yes, it does. Genesis 12, I will be a blessing to all nations through your seed. Isaiah, I will go out to all of the world, all of the nations. They will know I will be their king, I will be their God, they will be my people. B.B. Warfield is right, he said in the Old Testament, it's like the, the room is fully furnished but dimly lit. It's all there. We just couldn't see it. But Messiah comes and he says, ah, light switch. Now we understand what God was talking about. This is why I speak the way I do. It has been revealed to you, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. To the one who has faith and who is attentive and is wanting to hear and listen non-selectively, more faith will be given. To the one who simply says, no, this is what I want, I'm not trying to hear all that, what little faith may be will be removed. There will be a hardening and a callousness of their conscience. Verse 12, for the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I love this passage. It's so marvelous. See, Jesus telling his disciples is saying, I'm speaking in parables because, you know, Isaiah, 700 years ago. Oh, come on, boys, you remember this, don't you? What? 12? Y'all, you don't remember Isaiah 6? Do you remember? It's only 700 years ago. Let me remind you, Jesus essentially tells them by this scene. It's Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has an encounter with God Most High seated on his throne. And the angels, the seraphim, were flying around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And the earth shakes with this truth and this majesty and this glory. And Isaiah says, Whoa, this is not good. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm undone. God makes atonement for him so that he can be in his presence. And then God says, I want my message to go out there. Who's going to go and say it for me? And Isaiah looks around and goes, uh, well, the, mm, seraphim are kind of busy with the whole flapping around thing. So uh, I guess that just leaves me. I'll go. I'm all in. Send me. And God says, great. Now here's the deal. You're going to fail. They're not going to listen. They're not going to understand. They're not going to see. Their hearts are hardened. They won't turn, but I wish they would. But that's not your problem. That's not your job. That's not your business. Whoops. Go get him, tiger. That's what God tells Isaiah 700 years ago. Now, why is this fascinating? Because John chapter 12, verse 41 says that the God that shows up in Isaiah 6 is none other than Jesus himself. He is the second member of the Godhead Trinity. He is himself Yahweh. Three persons, one God, one essence, eternally existing. But John 12 tells us the one that Isaiah encountered is in fact the pre-incarnate Christ. It is God in Christ who says to Isaiah, go get him and you're going to fail. So much so that Jesus says, you know what, I'll just come myself this time. And they're still not going to listen. Because the human heart 
is hard. Who can understand it? I will speak to them. I will give kindness. I will offer mercy and grace and compassion. And they will reject. But to those who want to believe, to those who, who want to hear, they will grow. See, the kingdom comes by hearing. Be careful how you hear. Now, this is so important that Jesus is going to do something rare. He's going to explain this story just to make sure we all understand that this is not about which soil is a Christian or not. It's about how we hear. So he's going to explain it in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, this has to have absolutely broken Jesus' heart. He has incarnated. He has come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And yet they are stiff-necked and hard of heart and they will reject. And what's more, there are all these other distractions. The enemy of a fallen world sends the things of creation. In this case, birds to represent the things that snatch away the truth, that don't let us hear. A path in Israel is this hard, hard ground where Maybe if a piece of seed falls there, it might have a chance, but it's stomped on, or what's left, the birds take away. It's never going to grow there. Too much traffic, too much activity, too much hardness. Jesus said, those are people who just simply refuse to listen. They have put earplugs in. The kingdom comes by hearing, and they have said, blah, 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 I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Notice that Jesus makes no comment whatsoever about the quality of the sower or of the seed. Man, there's just one sower, and I'm telling you, he had this underhanded slider thing, and he could get seed where nobody else could. No. Makes no comment about the sower. Who's the sower? It's really not the point. Later on in another parable, we're going to find that a sower is Jesus, but in a different parable, the sower is anybody who gives the message of the kingdom. That's what the seed is, the message of the kingdom. Notice, no quality on how good the seed was. Oh, man, this was the very best stuff the feed store had. It's not the point. It's the message of the kingdom. In other words, People's hearing has nothing to do with how good I do, how clear I am, how winsome I communicate. It has nothing to do with, well, there was really two and a half points in a poem, not three points in a poem. It has nothing to do with that. Do we hear? Do we want to hear? The kingdom comes by hearing. How are you hearing the message of the kingdom? Well, he goes on, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulations or persecution arises, and it will, and it does, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Jesus is using an illustration that everybody would have understood. The farmer throws the seed. He can't tell if the soil is shallow or deep. It looks the same. And sometimes the seed falls on ground that there is a layer of topsoil, but just a quarter inch under it is hard limestone. And the seed cannot get in there. The seed goes in, but there's so much stone that the seed can't do what it's supposed to do, which is to transform the soil, to transform that little environment. The seed, by God's creative design, turns downward, points downward, and a shoot goes out to create a root. But when it hits that hard, rocky surface, it can't go any farther. And so that energy has to go someplace. It shoots up out of the ground. And the farmer says, wow, an early crop. This is going to be the best crop ever. But there's nothing to hold it in. And so persecution and tribulation and storms arise, and it's blown away. Oh, there was an emotional response. Yes, there was a feel-good thing, but it, it doesn't last. That person was listening simply for a feeling. There's no root there. Jesus says, be careful how you hear. A root system takes time, and you may not see it for, for quite a while, the result. You may not see it. So just feeling good, feeling the burn, getting the goosebumps. Mm. This is good, great. That ain't it. We had someone come not too long ago, uh, said, hey, yeah, I just uh, became a believer about 36 hours ago. I'm coming to your church, and I'll, I'm going to be one of your elders, like right now. I was like, oh, pump the brake, Charlie. What's your name again? I don't, I mean, great, I hope you are a believer. Praise God. Let, let's, let's watch the root system. Let's see how we do. I haven't seen him since. Feelings are good. That's fine. But if that's all we're into, that just tells us that we're listening selectively to hear things that make us feel good. Danger, danger. 
Jesus continues with the explanation. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Hmm. This is the person who is receptive. This is a sort of the soil representing the human heart and how we hear. But there's, there's good things that are fears, uncertainties, and doubts, but there's also the deceit of riches. There's a man named Demas that used to walk with Paul, and Demas was one of his helpers in ministry. But 2 Timothy writes that Demas fell away because he loved riches and this world. This is a divided heart. Oh, I love Jesus and I want him to, I want him to, to, to be in my life, but, but I better hedge my bets. What if, what if uh, a storm comes, literally or figuratively? Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I better hold some back and not live generously just in case God doesn't come through. Or, ooh, I want all those things and I am entitled to have those pleasures or those experiences. I want that. It's a divided heart. This is what the thorny soil, this is how we hear this reveals to us that a person is really not wanting a Lord or a Savior or a King. They simply want a blesser. And that's how they're listening for Jesus. Okay, here I am. I'm in church. How come I still have the cancer? Okay, here I am in church. Where's the money? Where's all the financial blessing? Careful how you hear. That's a person who is simply listening to get the goodies, but not God. Just wanting a blesser and not a savior. This is the person who it's revealed that the thorns grow up. And by the way, can I just say, nothing grows faster than a weed. Nothing. You don't believe me? I'll give you my address. You can drive by. I have a case study happening right now just so you can see how fast weeds can grow. They overtake my driveway like that. And the things of this life grow quickly and aggressively. And when the things that we pursue that divide our hearts from Christ, when we lose those things and we get angry with God, and we say, what in the world? I, I pay my taxes. I don't use foul language unless the cowboys are playing or whatever. I mean, come on. What? We lose those things. And then what we re realize is that all we ever really worshipped was the things that we lost. All that we ever really cared about was the stuff that God gave. And once it's gone, we're gone. That's a heart that listens from the thorny soil perspective. It's someone that says, God, listen, I'm all about the kingdom as long as it's mine, and you set it up. I need a little nudge every now and then. Come on, Jeannie, I'm rubbing the bottle. Let's go. That thorny flesh, that thorny soil is never going to receive long term. But Jesus goes on. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. It's not just emotional and feel good, although that's a part of it. There's also intellectual cognitive assent, recognition, making sense of it. He understands animals, plants, robots, Aggies. They don't understand, but the one, I'm kidding, save your letters, the one who understands, who gives mental assent, is the one who is hearing non-selectively. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Why don't you tell me what you want, Lord, rather than me telling you what I want? He's the one who understands. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is God's word. How do we hear? It'd be very unusual for a crop to yield that kind of result. In fact, impossible in an agricultural society. You throw seed, you might get three times prosperity. Probably it's a one for one. You might get 4x, probably not, but 100, 60, 30. That's a mystery up to the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not of your work. We don't know how God's going to produce fruit in the things that we do. Well, all of this bears a bunch of questions. Do you want to hear? understandably and unexpectedly, we hear this and we still want to think, yeah, but which one of those soils was saved? It's the wrong question. It convicts us. It's Jesus giving us a test. In the kingdom, in this age, how do you hear? How are you listening with your own agenda, selectively through a filter, or are you hearing from God saying, whatever it is that you say, I want to hear that and I want to receive that. Understandably, that gives us some concerns. But the reality is that all of us have hearts that have different kinds of of dirt. But the heart that says, man, but I want that. I do believe. Help my unbelief. 
The answer is already yes. God says, if what you want is to hear more clearly, I will do that. And I will do that through my spirit, through my word, and through the wise counsel of other believers. That's how we listen and practice non-selective listening. So the question then is, have you heard? Some of you, it's so fun, amazing. A lady came up after the first service and said, my whole life, this is what I've been taught. And I have it in my notes. Some of you have been taught that God and Jesus and church and the Bible and religion is all about you've got to do good, try harder, be more, do gooder, so that God will take you to heaven when you're dead and give you good stuff while you're alive. And you, come on now, you've got to do better, you've got to try harder. That means you're not hearing. But if you've tried that and found it impossible and, in fact, a burden, this word comes to us and says, no, 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 listen. The law of God has been given to plow our souls, to plow the soil of our heart. We read the law and we go, wow, we could never do all that. Oh, no, oh, no. But it breaks up, Paul says. It breaks up all the stones and all the thorns and makes it receptive for the seed of the gospel to say, but he can and he has and he will. And I believe that. And I live my whole life around that. So have you heard? Finally, the charge is very basic. Reset your expectations. It means to rethink your thinking. It means to repent. The reality is that every single one of us still has and still wrestles with some bad soil in some capacity. We all still have some level of selective hearing. I can tell you that as a husband, I sometimes evidence a hardness of heart, a stubbornness, a stiffness of neck, where I simply refuse to hear the message that I am already in the kingdom. I don't have to strive and vie with my spouse to try to get something. God has already provided every good and perfect thing. Why am I arguing with her for resources, for attention, for affection, for anything? But I have a hard heart that refuses to understand that sometimes. I'm not listening well. And so I get to say, would you... Would you plow up that rocky path and make it fertile soil? The answer is yes. I confess that there are times in my life where I like to feel good and that I don't like to feel bad. Maybe you can understand and resonate with that. And so I begin to interpret God in light of that circumstance. And I say, well, I'm having a good day. Things feel good. God's pleased with me. I'm having a bad day. It's not a good day. Things hurt. God must be ticked off oh, wait a minute, I'm listening selectively as if it was actually up to what I'm experiencing determines what God is like? Oh, God, would you break my soil up into soft, fertile, receptive soil? Would you transform that? Don't send a boulder to smash the ground. Would you plant the seed of the gospel? Help me to fall in love with Jesus and his finished work all over again. I confess there are times when the soil of my heart is thorny, I think, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but what about this? What about this? Yeah, but, yeah, but, ooh, that looks fun over there. I want to do that. And my heart is divided. And I stop really paying attention to the, to the love and the embrace of the king. And so I, I pray, God, oh, oh, God, would you, would you plow up that soil too? It's impossible for me to do it. Would you, would you do it? And, and give me a non-divided heart that helps me to hear non-selectively. And I want to say this is emphatically and, and pointedly as I possibly can, if you hear the parable of the soils and you think, okay, I got it, I get it, I got to walk out of here and be better soil, stop, stop, you've missed it. So, so let me say it again. The soil cannot fix the soil. Walk outside, find some soil, even in the downtown context, you'll find some somewhere, and just watch it and see if it changes itself. It cannot change itself. It's not about you trying to fix your heart. Oh, I just got to try harder and listen more, read my Bible more, have three quiet times. All the, Stop. It's not your job to improve your soil. <laughs> That's the gardener's job, don't you see? The first Adam was created to be a vice regent, to, to be productive, to till the garden. The last Adam, Christ says, oh, I'm the great gardener, and I want to till the soil of your heart. Sometimes I'm going to bring hard things in, and it's going to break up. But you, you think you've got rocks in your life? Man, they, they rolled one in front of my, in front of my tomb. I, I died for you. And you realize that, and you hear that, and your soil softens. You, oh, you, you, you think you've got thorns in your life? Do you remember the thorns that... 
I took on your behalf, I suffered, and I bled so that you'll never have to worry. I'll do it. Would you let me do it? Put your strong right arm down. Simply ask the gardener to ready your soil, and the answer is already yes. Now, for some of you here this morning, boy, Jesus' stories are confusing. And you're like, I, I, okay, so the, the, there's dirt, and uh, you're a farmer? No? If you're not sure about any of this, that's okay. Listen, we want to speak with you. We've got elders and deacons and staff members and maybe total strangers who would love to speak with you more about what this means, to simply believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is who he says he was. He did what he said he would do. He paid the wages of sin, which is death. He fulfilled the demands of the law, which is perfection. And he offers that completed scorecard to us so that we don't have to try to do this ourselves because we can't. And now, for those of us who are already believers, he offers to, for the rest of our lives, continue to fertilize our soil, to bless us more, so that now what do we do? Now we can be good, productive soil. And now I get the opportunity to broadcast the message the kingdom is now being offered through the gospel. And I get to do that on this platform. I get to do it in a coffee shop. I get to do it everywhere I am. And so do you. And I'm convinced that generations from now, we will see that God, by his spirit, among his people, through his word, was accomplishing a produce that we could never even imagine. So I want to re-encourage you to listen non-selectively. Oh, and <laughs> you'll get ice cream one day too. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are, for what you have done. Therefore, who we are. God, all of us confess that we have certain corners of our hearts that are dirty with the wrong kind of soil. Save us from the illusion that we are to try to get out of here and fix it ourselves and to clean up the mess. But we have made, we cannot, only you can. So would you? Oh, oh, thanks for saying yes in Christ. Father, if there's anyone here who does not know you, who is the rocky path, would you churn up that soil? For the rest of us, Father, would you remind us all over again that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's our King. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's our champion. He's not merely a blesser. Father, we ask all these things the only way we can, in the power of your Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning for our start of Jesus Stories. More to come. We'll be in Matthew 13 also next week. Let me ask you to stand for a word of benediction, and we will be dismissed. I want to remind you, please plan on being with us next Sunday, the 17th, after church on the second floor. And now, may the God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that's good news, by the way, may he equip you for every good work and soften your soil. May you have ears to hear. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.